Well, it's good to see you guys here this morning. Thanks for uh, joining us in person live here this morning. Those on the camera, welcome to Radiant Life. Glad you guys are on that side as well. But man, uh, we are in a series together called All of Us. And we revealed a new mission statement for our church that we think that that is who Radiant Life is. And uh, we've been kind of journeying at least the previous two weeks through it, then this week, and I'll wrap it up next week. But I want to reveal the mission statement to you again here at Radiant Life. But it's living out our God-given what, friends? Man, you have purpose. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have purpose. We want to help everyone live out their God-given purpose every day by being transformed by Jesus, reaching the lost, and making disciples who make disciples. Last week, we talked about that first section, about our purpose, our God-given purpose. As a rehasher, real quick, uh, I said last week that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, you have a primary purpose. Anyone remember what our primary purpose is? Good. Five of you paid attention in class. You get the A in the gold star. Right? It's, it's to glorify God and make disciples who make disciples. That every action, word, deed, everything we do brings honor and glory to God. And we make disciples who make disciples. And that is our primary purpose. Every follower of Jesus has that as their primary purpose in this life. And we talked about having a secondary purpose, though. It's being Jesus with our skills and our abilities and our passions that he's given us. To be Jesus with those where we work, live, and play. Where we work, where we live, where we play. And we use our secondary purpose, or we use the primary purpose of glorify God and make disciples who make disciples as our lens into our secondary purpose. So if you're a factory worker, go be Jesus. Bring honor and glory to God. Make disciples who make disciples. Be Jesus to everyone in your factory. From a school teacher to a nurse, whatever you do, bring honor and glory to God and view the people around you through the lens of your primary purpose, to glorify God and make disciples who make disciples. This week, we're going to look at transformed by Jesus. Here's my warning. It's going to look different. So turn your neighbor and say, buckle up. That's a real, like, disclaimer, by the way. Um... You're going to hear, if you're a guest, this is our teaching moment. It's going to be a little different as we're in the Word. Um, You're going to hear from me. You're going to hear from Pastor Josh, who will come up next, our spiritual formation pastor. Then you're going to hear from Pastor Brandon, our community and groups pastor, and next steps. You're going to hear from him too. So it's going to look a little different this morning. There are going to be moments where you have to sit in silence. I know some of us are like freaked out in the seven second silence I just gave you, right? Like there may be 60 seconds of silence with a a question on the screen we just want you to sit in. Uh, Today we're going to talk, here's one of the reasons why. I was going to think, let's just give them a bunch of information and then find application with all this information and hopefully it moves from information up here to heart transformation. And I was beginning, I was like, no, that's not what we should do. We really got to wrestle the question, are we really transformed by Jesus Christ? 
You know, like we could have done a, a message on like, what does a life that's transformed by Jesus look like? Like, what are the qualities? And I said, no, no, we just need to wrestle with this. Because Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, reads this way. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Let's be honest, friends. How often do we actually do this? We live in a world of 24-7. Everything's on all the time. And we don't slow down enough to really test ourselves to say, am I in the faith? What is really going on inside of me? And so that's what this teaching is going to allow for you and I to sit into this verse right here. So you guys are going to reflect on some things as we really look at a mission statement of ours. Are we being transformed by Jesus Christ? So, if you got your Bible, if your phone or tablet, will you turn, because you're going to want to circle some words, turn to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John 3, 1 through 8. Uh, if you turn about two, th- I'd like to say this, because it's an easy way to find John. Turn about two-thirds of your way through your scripture, through your Bible, and you're going to find John. Right? The New Testament begins with four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who write about the life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those four guys write about the life of Jesus. John was one of them. What's cool about John is John is an actual disciple of Jesus. John, biblical scholars believe, John was the youngest of all the disciples. Jesus and him had a very close, intimate relationship. John was part of what we would call the inner three. Jesus had many, many disciples, but he had 12 very close disciples that he taught about the kingdom of God to. He did life with 12. And then he took out of those 12, he took three and had a deeper, intimate relationship with them. John was one of them. In fact, if you read John's letter that we have, John, um, I truly mean, I think what, when John says this, I think John's really coming from a deep heart of compassion. Um, I just like to look at it and be like, he's not humble. Because John talks about himself being the disciple whom Jesus loved. I was like, yeah, you're like the favorite kid, right? Every family, you're like, oh, you're the favorite, right, to mom and dad. It's like, John kind of has that attitude. I I actually think it's, I'm just reading that into. I really think John is like, no, I'm loved by Jesus Christ, and it's incredible. And you all are loved by Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're loved by Jesus, Isn't that special? I think, I'm sorry, before I go, I think sometimes we just got to sit in his love longer than what we realize. You know, if you grew up in church, there's a little song that we used to sing. If you grew up in church, I don't want to sing it because I I don't sing. (laughs) That Jesus loves me song, this I know. Stop there. Do you really know? Wow, do you really know? Do we sit in his love? Man, you are loved. That is special, isn't it? And so here, let's jump into John 3. Let's try to figure out what's happening here as Jesus has an interaction with this guy named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1 reads this way. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, it's the religious leaders at the time of Jesus. So a religious leader. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God was with you. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, 
Unless someone is, what are those two words? <laughs> Circle those. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of the water and the what? Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be, what are those two words again? Born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the what? Spirit. Here, I love this interaction because we have our Messiah, we have our Savior Jesus talking to a religious person by the name of Nicodemus. Now, in the ancient world, you were, as you were a Pharisee, it means a couple things. Number one, you were educated. Nicodemus was educated. Number two, you're a religious man. You must have gotten all the proper religious training in order to become a Pharisee, a religious leader at the time. Pharisees had deep, deep influence into the society and culture at the time. So you have this man that from the outside looks like he's got everything together. But he sits there and he's questioning someone. As Jesus said, listen, it's nice you got it together. But listen, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Remember, who is Jesus talking to? Nicodemus, a religious leader who looks like he's got it together. And he's telling the religious person, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm obviously old, and I can't go back in my mom's womb. How is this born again? And Jesus says, listen, you got to be born of the flesh and the spirit. You have to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Side note, when does Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. Why? I don't want to read too much into it, and I don't know all the reasons why, but there are, I think, two possibilities. Number one, the religious leaders and the Pharisees and Jesus, they kind of clashed a little bit, right? The Pharisees had 613 laws to abide by, and Jesus is like breaking a lot of them. One being, like, they're like, hey, we don't work on the Sabbath, which is good. Hey, take a day of rest. The problem is Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees and religious people are like, you can't do it. It says right here. And Jesus is like, it's better to bring life to them than then stay in this death situation. We're bringing life. Jesus attacks the Pharisees a lot. They're thinking and trying to say, stop living under the law. Man, there's something called grace now. And we're going And so at night, maybe it is perhaps Nicodemus chose night because he didn't want all the other Pharisees to realize, I'm having a conversation with this Jesus. 
Maybe perhaps it's at night because that's when Nicodemus is off duty, if you will. He's maybe getting ready to go to bed. Um, Maybe thinks Jesus doesn't have the crowds in this moment. Jesus will be more available at night when he's getting ready to bed, maybe. So maybe that's a reason why Nicodemus chose night. I think there are a couple possibilities there. But what is he getting at? He's getting at this. Nicodemus, you look like you have it all together. A religious man, you go to church regularly, you do the religious duties. I mean, Nicodemus probably thought as a descendant of Abraham, the father of the faith, you know, as a descendant of him, um, I'm already in automatically assured heaven because I'm a Jew and I'm a religious, I'm a Pharisee, come on. I think it's this though, one thing we've wrongly assumed in the American church is this, to follow Jesus and be transformed by Jesus is to say a prayer, have the right intellectual faith, and we're saved and born again. Because from Nicodemus' perspective, he's got it together. But it's not enough. Saying a prayer for salvation is great. It's the beginning. But there's so much more to this. It doesn't just stay as intellectual faith. At some point, it must move from the head to have heart transformation. That you are no longer the same because of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And here's a definition of born again. This is what it means. It means a new or born from above. You see what Jesus is getting at in this moment now. He's like, you've been already born. You have flesh. You had a mom and a dad. You are flesh. However, you must be born of the what? The spirit. You must be born from above now. Everything must change for you in this moment now, Jesus. Now, if, you're, if you want to go to college with me for a moment, I'm your professor. And let's go into my theology class. This is known as regeneration. Regeneration means it's a bringing of new life. It's a recreation of who you are. You are not the same anymore. Please hear me, friends. It's regeneration is not, you are not born again just because you go to church. Well, it's, it's what I do. It's always what I've done. I've just got, gone to church. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Oh, there's more. It doesn't mean just because you come to church that you're born again. Some of us grew up in a, a faith past that had confirmation. The different denominations have what's called confirmation. Please hear my heart. I think it has its place and it's beautiful. And I think for us that don't have confirmation, there's things we ought to learn from that. Instilling our faith principles into young children is key. We all would say that. Please hear me. Just because you were confirmed does not mean you're born again. You must be born of the Spirit now. You must be under the influence and the power and be led by the Spirit now. Just because you opened up your Bible and read a sentence or two or read a daily bread thing today does not mean you are born again. And I'm deeply for that. 
I get into God's word every single day. But listen, I can give this to an atheist and they can read it. It doesn't mean they're born again. We must get into the word so the word gets into us. But it doesn't mean we're born again. It does not mean that. Why we, believe we belong to a heavenly kingdom, one must be born into that. We must have a life transformation with the spirit of God. The moment you say a prayer and receive salvation, enter into the faith, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's just been dormant in a lot of our lives. The spirit is a gentleman. Because we have to realize what Jesus is saying. You got to be born again. You need the spirit of God in your life. Because when the spirit of God comes, everything changes. Everything changes. Moral reform isn't enough for us. Religious reform isn't enough for us. We need to be born again, friends, consumed by the presence of God with a radical conversion of our life that there is now new life we are in. We are no longer that, but because of Jesus and his presence and the spirit of God, we are changed now. Born again. So let me ask you a question. Are you born again? So Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus. And he talks to him about this prerequisite transformative experience that has to happen before you can enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused, right? In my imagination, I see Nicodemus, and in his mind, as Jesus says, oh, you have to be born again. In his mind is playing that Saturday Night Live sketch where Will Ferrell is born as a full-grown man, and, and Nicodemus is like, uh, I don't know what to do with that. Jesus says, you have to be born again. Now we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus gathers his 12 disciples together. And he is preparing his disciples to go out and bring this message of life transformation. To bring this message that you can come into the kingdom. But Jesus gives his disciples a warning. And I would encourage you this week, spend some time, just read through Matthew chapter 10. If somebody told you that following Jesus was going to be like all sunshine and daisies, they lied to you. Right? Jesus gives his disciples a little bit of a reality check. And he says, as you go and you talk about this idea of life transformation, as you talk about being born again, as you talk about the kingdom of heaven, and you talk about Jesus, he says, not everybody is going to be thrilled with that idea. And he brings it right to the home, and he says, you might even find that you face opposition from your family. He says, there, there could be people that get upset and irate with you because of the message that you bring. But then Jesus challenges his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says this, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy. The one who loves his son or his daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now hear me, Jesus isn't saying, oh, hey, just forget your family, you don't need them anyways. Right? Within Jewish culture, honoring your parents 
was very important. In fact, so important, it made the top ten list of commandments that God gave his people. He said, honor your father and mother. And this, this commandment actually carried a promise with it. Hey, honor your father and mother, and you will live a long life in the land that I've promised you. Right? So this was, this was pretty significant. Jesus isn't saying, ah, yeah, hey, just forget your family. But he's saying, as you lean into the life that Jesus calls you to, you might find yourself at odds even with the people you hold most dear. He says, but in those moments, if you opt to love those people more than you love Jesus, you don't have what it takes to be a disciple. He says, you are not worthy of me if you elevate love for anybody or anything else above Jesus. He says, you're not worthy of me. And this is a challenge for us. Right, as we, as we look at our lives, as we look at our relationships with the people that we love and care for, is there somebody, whether it's a parent or a child, a spouse, a friend, that we have elevated above the level of love we have for Jesus? Because Jesus says, hey, if you don't, if you don't love me above all, it's just, you, you're not going to make it. Sometimes my kids will go up to my wife, and they'll tap her, and they'll say, they'll say, Mama, you're the best mom in the whole world. And they'll come up to me, and they'll say, Dad, you're the second best dad in the whole world. Because we've talked to them about this, this idea of, of making sure that nothing is higher than God. So my wife is the best mom in the world, but I'm only second place because my kids sure as heck better elevate God the Father over me. Jesus says, are, are you ready to do that? Because that might be what happens. Now there are cultures in the world today where to claim in the name of Jesus actually puts you at odds with your family to the extent that they will kill you. I don't imagine that most of us uh, will face that. But the question that we have to ask is, as we look at our life, who sets the direction for where your life is going? Is your life more guided by your parents, by your kids, by your spouse, by your friends? Is it more guided by those relationships than it is by Jesus? The question that we're going to wrestle with here for the next 60 seconds or so is this. Where is my first love? You can feel the tension already, and the tension's going to continue to build. Because Jesus continued in the very next verse. He says, And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy. The cross... Jesus wasn't the first one to be nailed to a cross. He was very aware of crucifixion. In fact, a lot of people would go through a trial, and if they were found guilty, would have to carry the cross beam of their cross, often naked, through the town, humiliated, to the point 
where they're going to be executed. And we're unsure if Jesus was predicting the death that he was going to have, or he was just simply using an illustration that the people around him knew was the crucifixion. And we have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with the idea of picking up our cross on a daily basis. The people who were found guilty and had to carry their cross, not at one point did they have the option to put that cross down and to do something else. I was reminded this week, thinking about Jesus' crucifixion and how he was flogged. They literally ripped the flesh off of his back. And then he had to carry this beam with no flesh on his back. And how often in our American church that we want to come to our comfortable building and complain about whether or not the AC is too cold or it's not warm enough or they didn't play our song that we wanted to hear. The carpet color is not right. But Jesus came and carried a cross. We come with our comfort to celebrate a Christ who was very uncomfortable carrying this beam. And even after a couple of minutes of carrying this beam, it's very uncomfortable. And I'm thankful that I have a chiropractor appointment later this week. But we need to realize that this torture device that caused people to die, we need to pick this up. And we need to wrestle with the things that are in our life that we need to crucify. And I'm wondering if comfortability is something that we need to crucify. For me, it's selfishness. Over and over again, as I get into God's word each and every day, and as, as James puts it, it's like a mirror. And as I look into that mirror and I see the reflection back at me, it's selfishness. And that is something that I need to crucify in my life. Now I could sit here and I could just list off a whole bunch of things. But what do you need to crucify? You know, we're in a season of spring now. My, my lilac bush in my backyard is blooming. It is absolutely beautiful. And, and maybe you have other flowers that are coming up. It's beautiful how they're blooming. But I'm wondering if we need to crucify something. Have you allowed death to begin in order for you to bloom? You know, maybe for some of us, the thing that we have to die to is the idea of control. And Jesus gives us a little bit on that here as we continue in this passage. He says, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. I think for many of us, we have a control problem, right? Maybe this manifests in different ways. Maybe you are the backseat driver. Do we have any backseat drivers in the house? Even though you have no real ability to control your vehicle. Oh, turn here, turn here, turn here. 
You're stomping on that imaginary brake on your side of the vehicle, right? You, you are trying to control this vehicle because you think you know how to best operate it. Maybe this manifests in your life by the philosophy of, well, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Because nobody else is going to do it right. I am the one who sets the standard. I am the only one who knows how to do this thing. So I'm going to do it. It's control. Maybe your household is, is like a military barracks. And everybody jumps at your command because I told you to do this. You better do this right now. But you look for control. And Jesus wants to challenge that idea in us. He says, anyone who finds his life will lose it. It's this idea that as long as we try to take the steering wheel in our life, as long as we try to do life on our terms, Jesus said, you lose. You won't actually have life if you do that. From an eternal standpoint, the more you try to hang on in control, the more you lose. He said, whoever finds it in me, you will have life. It's in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus that we see for us to actually win, for us to obtain the highest level of blessing and eternal life. We have to give up. We have to surrender. He says, lose your life for me and you will, you will have life beyond what you can Imagine. But we try to hang on. It's like, it's like that story, right? You read of the kid who reaches into the jar, and he, maybe he's grabbing all the candies, right? And he's trying to, and he can't get them out. He's got his handful of the candies. He's like, no, this is what I want. I want all this candy. That's us as we hold, no, this is what I want in my life. This is what I want my life to be about. This is where I want to go with my life. And we're hanging on, but we can't get the stupid candy out of the jar, and Jesus is saying, let go of the candy. You don't have candy. You got, you got your hand stuck in a stupid jar. There's no way to go through life. They'll make fun of you at school for that. He says, you have to let go. You have to relinquish control to him. And in that place, we win. We have life. When we let Jesus determine the transformation, when we let Jesus determine the direction and the purpose of our life, that's when we win. That's when we truly have life. We have to let go of control. So our, our question here this morning for that is this. Have you actually, have you really given your life to Jesus? Jesus answers Nicodemus. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. And don't be amazed that I told you, Nicodemus. You look like you got it together. You must be born again. Let me ask you a question today. Where are you? Where are you? Spiritually. Where 
are you? And I'm not talking about a prayer that you said at a camp when you were a kid or prayer that you said as a teenager or that you got baptized two years ago. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you right now in this moment, friends, family, where are you spiritually right now? Because with Jesus dying on the cross for you and I, defeating the grave in hell and death three days later, ascending into heaven so that the presence, the spirit of God can come and fill us. Everything changes. And maybe perhaps some of us came in this morning, you're like, man, I was open for encouragement. Now I'm questioning if I'm even saved. Some of us may have walked in sitting there going, I thought I was a Christian, but now I don't know. I think that's what God is calling us to wrestle with. It's not in a scary sense, but are, have you truly surrendered and are you born again? Because on that day when you and I stand before God, you won't have your parent there to defend your faith. You won't have your pastor there defending, saying, oh, Jesus, they at least showed up to church. God's going to ask, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And only you can answer that. You know, I, when I started dating my wife and eventually realizing I wanted to marry her, I did everything possible to spend time with her. You know what I didn't do? Look at my calendar and go, I don't know if I can squeeze her in today. We look at next week. I don't, know, I don't know if I can squeeze any time with her. I made sure I made time for her. Isn't that how many of us treat Jesus? See, we may not love Jesus because we don't know Jesus. And you don't know Jesus because you don't spend time with Jesus. And with him, everything changes. Some of you are here, and our heart was, again, not insecurity of your salvation. Our heart, and God's heart this morning, was a quote that I believe it's from Billy Graham. Please don't, if I've got the wrong quote, please tell me who said this. But he said this, I believe it was him. He said, the greatest harvest for souls is in the pews on Sunday. Because there's a lot of unsaved Christians. They think they're saved, but they're not. Are you born again? Is Jesus Christ your first love? Have things in your life need that have died? So God's life can bloom in your life. And how are you fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? And maybe for some of you, you're wrestling and going, yeah, there's still things that I need to crucify because I'm still living into the flesh and not the spirit. Now's our time to release that. And maybe for others, you're like, Ryan, I came in here, don't even know this Jesus, but man, what's the stirring in my heart? I don't know what's happening. It's the Holy Spirit that's working on you.
And it's easy as this to come into relationship. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as easy as that to enter into salvation. So maybe in this moment, it's your prayer that you just want to pray that. Just surrender your life. Ask for forgiveness. Surrender your life to Jesus. Confess that he is Lord and believe here that God raised him from the dead. Surrender in this moment. But the team's going to lead us in a song called Nothing Else. And I'm not done. Please don't go because there's an anthem song at the very end of service. I want all of us to stay and worship in that song together. But will you please stand in this moment? And I'm going to say our altars are open. We have kneelers down front. If you just got to kneel and confess some things to God, or you just want to change your posture, the front of the altars open. But may this be a moment to say, God, there is nothing else with you. I just need you, Jesus. Nothing else but you. So may we worship in this song and mean everything from the depth of our spirit. I just want you, Jesus. Jesus.